Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a Broken Thoughts podcast. A Broken Thoughts podcast because this is a Broken Oars podcast where there's only one of us talking. This is AJ here. Some of you will know me as Aaron, the incredible rhyme animal, hyping like a poet on a mic, he shows it. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do it. Jazz, rhythm, blues, soul, rock and roll, even hip-hop lovers are my brothers and sisters. All in all, over 10 billion listeners, lend me ears when you want to hear the hypest and ripest sound of the year. Others will also know me as the Northern One from Broken Laws Podcast. Um, so this isn't really a Broken Laws Podcast as such, as much as it is a Broken Thoughts Podcast. Aficionados will know that means a short-form opinion fusillade where one of us, usually Lewin, will offer some thoughts and perspectives or just randomly sound off on anything that happens to take our individual fancies. Um, I think that the topic under discussion is worthy of a full Broken Oars podcast, a Broken Paws podcast, if you will, because we're going to talk a little bit about paws rowing this evening. But my wonderful partner in pod uh, has been snowed under for the last few weeks with uh, life and work and a combination of life and work and sometimes work and life and sometimes every other variation of that you can possibly kind of put together. Um, he has been doing a mix of things, uh, some of which involve moving to the country to eat a lot of peaches, if they, I believe they do grow peaches down in Canterbury. Um, marking, exam marking, mock exam marking, marking things in general, possibly walls with his tag, I believe the hip young kids call it. Um, not getting COVID. He was really, really poorly, but he couldn't actually get a positive test and therefore he just had to soldier on with uh, moving to the country to eat a lot of peaches and exam marking and life and small children and being married and all of those kind of things. So those of you who have tuned in, signed up, downloaded, are streaming to hear the dulcet tones of Lewin's well-educated southern accent um, and his fantastic intellectual southern way with comments about millimoles are going to be sorely disappointed because it's me, the northern one. Um, you'll just have to put up with, uh, well, whatever this accent is. I don't think it's full Geordie. It's definitely northern. I think most Geordies of my acquaintance would say, why, how here, man, canny lad? You sound out like me, man. Um, but anyway, I can talk authoritatively on various subjects, but I don't really have that whole um, why I man thing going on. But I also don't have Lewin's uh, posh evil overlord thing going on either. I can speak about millimoles, though. My understanding is that a millimole is a mole that was born in this millennium. Uh, they have beards. They uh, drink lattes, soy lattes, of course. They live above ground, generally, and they all work in tech industries. You won't find many moles out being agricultural nowadays. So, yes, millimoles, there you go. Some technical scientific stuff for you. So, why a Northern One Broken Thoughts podcast? Well, well, here's the thing. Here is the thing indeed. Earlier in the week, I put a little post up, um, and it was, it was a casual throwaway Wednesday afternoon-ish kind of Twitter thing just to see if everyone was still alive and kicking and breathing and the post that I put up was uh, seriously the pausing at backstops bollocks is still a thing is it and I put a little poll in it as well and you had a choice of well pause rowing is idiocy pause rowing is madness pause rowing is what all the cool kids are doing or pause rowing is a style choice um 
Now, the observant among you will notice that idiocy and madness are pretty much overlapping categories, if not direct synonyms in this poll. And the same could be said for the cool kids and the style choice categories. And the fact that someone as linguistically precise as myself um, just threw those two together like that should tell you exactly how little thought I put into this. I really wasn't thinking about it, which I usually don't when I'm on Twitter. I find that it is the best way. Uh, I see Twitter as the hive mind of humanity, where all of their worst thoughts come out. And, and, and if you ever get lost on Twitter rabbit holes, you, you realise that even though the country that you live in, which is in my case is, is Britain, is full of extraordinary people, um, and yet very few of them seem to be on Twitter, it appears that a huge amount of lunatics are, are on Twitter and morons and people who've, who've never read anything beyond a Twitter feed in their lives. Luckily, we live in the rowing community and, uh, as we all know, rowers are, are highly educated, um, very opinionated, but highly educated, and genuinely wonderful people who I will not hear a bad word said against. But the reality is that this was a throwaway tweet and a bit of a fun poll for people to throw their two penny worth in, um, have a bit of a laugh and talk about this whole kind of pause rowing nonsense. Now we put polls up all of the time. It's usually me because I tend to throw the odd thing on about, on social media about what we're doing and how we're doing it and also supporting the other people who've been really kind and supporting us. And occasionally I will say something snarky about the fact that our prime minister is a lying bastard. Um, I don't think that Lewin is on the same side of the political spectrum that I am, but it hasn't really stood in the way of our friendship or our ability to row together or have fun together or indeed at times agree to disagree and at times agree to agree. And I think that that is a very heartening thing in this very, very polarised world of um, you're right, I'm wrong, or if you're wrong, then I must be right, or if I'm wrong, then you must be right, and let's have a fight about and invade the Ukraine, which is currently happening even as I record. Um... So we put polls up all the time and we usually get about 20 or 30 responses and the odd retweet and someone will put a few comments in and everyone's very nice and everyone's very, very jolly and we all get along, which is great because the whole point about Broken Oars or podcast is that we we don't take ourselves massively seriously. We've been incredibly fortunate to have um, some amazing guests on. In fact, all of our guests, it's not just some of them, have been amazing. Uh, we've learned a huge amount about rowing, we've learned a huge amount about the art of, of pushing a boat backwards down a river, but we've learned even more about the fantastic people who populate this sport, from the, the very, very top at the elite level all the way through to the grassroots and the wonderful volunteers who do so much to keep us ticking over. And for that we've been profoundly grateful, it's been a, it's been a huge joy and a huge journey, we've had a huge amount of giggles along the way. And we've also learned some very, very serious stuff. Um, people like Jennifer Say have been on talking about her experiences as a, as a, a child gymnast in America and the Athlete A scandal that, that a generation later has broke. We've had Tristan on talking about athlete welfare. Eric Murray's made some great points on, on the podcast about transitioning and about how hard it is for athletes. Uh, Andy Hodge has been amazing about what rowing can do for young people. Sally Kettles tales of rowing adventure on the oceans of the world are underpinned by a very, very serious and very, very uh, pertinent take upon why activities are just so vital for young people and, and young ladies in particular. So it's been a real journey. 
but our poles, as you know us, are just us basically taking the piss out of each other. Um, except this one. The innocuous comment, seriously, the pausing at backstops bollocks is still a thing, is it, with a choice of four categories for you to choose from, garnered about 110 clicks in the in the poll, and we'll come to who actually won the poll in a, in a little while, and multiple threads uh, from people expressing their opinion, uh, and often the opinion was that we were effing morons to even think of asking the question about pause rowing, is it bollocks? Why is it still a thing? Why do we still have people sitting at backstops like they've been frozen by some magician's wand before coming forward to take the next stroke? And um, people got really heated about it. Drew Jin, uh, a genuine legend of the sport, a man that, that Andrew Hodge described as Australia's Steve Redgrave when he was talking about racing against him, weighed in. Matthew Pinsent, uh, a god amongst men and a man who only ever actually gets in touch with us to point out when we're missing a beat in one of our anapestic verse forms and being slightly less flippant, he's also been in touch privately to just say, look, ignore the internet trolls when it comes to the subject of Jürgen doping and British rowing because they're idiots, essentially. Um, has weighed in on it, uh, talking about the, the Russian style of rowing when, when he was coming up. Adrian Ellison has was has, has come in with some thoughts on it. Um, so, you know, real big dogs here have got involved in this debate, and we're not just talking about the big dogs of the Broken Oars podcast, the, the people who, you know, um, leave nice comments about us and occasional savage comments about us and occasional... occasional comments saying honestly lads you're, you're reasonably intelligent human beings you should know an awful lot more about this before you put it out there as a broadcast um so you know proper rowers rowers who not only know their stuff but who've won like proper medals and stuff like that got involved in this discussion um you really care about this don't you you really care about this whole pause rowing is rubbish no pause rowing is great stuff uh, we've had comments that along the lines of pause rowing is the only way to row. We've had comments along the lines of, well, pause rowing is stupid. We've had comments along the lines of people who say that pause rowing is stupid are stupid. We've also had comments along the lines of people who say that people who say that pause rowing is stupid are stupid themselves, and so on. And it became a little bit of a toddler's tea party bun fight, and it, there's a bit of back and forth, but it was all a lot of very good points about technique were made, and a lot of very good arguments were made for and against. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, I'm going to talk briefly, uh, well I hope briefly, but this is me, it could go on for several weeks, about my background in rowing, which is kind of, if you've listened to the podcast before, you will roughly know what it is because Loon and I make a lot of comic mileage about things that we used to do when we were younger and fitter. Well, in my case fitter, in his case, he's still capable of doing five 2Ks under 620, which is, you know, reasonable club level still. So. My rowing DNA is largely agecroft, in the sense of, you know, DNA genetic mutations formed by probably pollutants on the River Irwell and Dennis O'Neill shouting at me for years of my life on end. That means that my muscle memories and my neural triggers are essentially what you might call the GB standard stroke profile. Now, the three most influential coaches in my rowing career and probably the most influential people outside of my crewmates, uh, with all due respect to, to Bashi at Newcastle and Dan, who are both wonderful coaches and whose company I enjoy a huge amount, 
But the three most influential coaches in my rowing career are, are Kev, Dennis O'Neill, and Peter Holmes. And to put that in sequence, Kev put my foundations in place. He put my rowing foundations in place. Everything that came after was put on a was put on top of what Kev put in place. He is the man at Agecroft who, when I joined, was the one who would take on the novices and would chug up and down the River Irwell next to them in the launch, keeping a steady stream of encouragement and pointers and tips and advice all the way. So I, I have very vivid memories of this. I've very vivid memories of starting rowing when basically just getting the oar anywhere near the water seemed like a major triumph but Kev was was right there and this is what he taught me essentially hands come in and go out at the same speed sit up tall draw up tap down hands in and out at the same speed please big outside arm that doesn't mean that you've got to heave it through what it means is you hold your height so that you create the angle to finish the last quarter of the stroke and give yourself that room to draw up and tap down. Now I want to see you controlling that sack of potatoes. I don't want it flopping all over the place because it's making the boat move all over the place. I want you to hold, hold, hold that core, hold that finish. Now let the hands go out at the same speed that they came in. Draw up, draw up and then let the hands come away and let that draw you into pivoting from the hips into your slide. And I want you to feel, feel, feel for the first turn of that wheel, wheel, wheel. Come on, let's get the heads up. Let's keep the airways clear here. Sort your hand tights out. You're striking down to a width off the sax board, a fist width off the sax board each time. Draw up and strike down. Okay, come out square. You've got to come out square. Only scholars flick it out and they only do that if they're shit. Big outside arm, draw up, head up, airways clear. And smile, son, smile. This is supposed to be fun. I can't do Kev's accent. I'm not even going to try. But basically, if you've rode for Agecroft, you can play Kev Bingo with this. It's head up, airways clear, big outside arm, high averages, no mistakes. And he was a wonderful coach and he put my foundations in place. He was an absolute god a wonderful, wonderful man, uh, atypical of the sport in as much as he, as he was kind of the archetype. You need someone to fix the launch, Kev's your man. You need someone to coach the novices, Kev's your man. You need someone to um, talk to about a certain race, Kev's done it and this is the advice that he'll give. Just one of those kind of real salt of the earth, backbones of the sport. Um, Kev put my foundations in, Dennis O'Neill built my rowing pyramid. Um, it sounds like the start of some kind of comedy sketch. Okay, I put my foundations in, Dennis built my rowing pyramid. But it's true. We've talked about the rowing pyramid being the training pyramid, the, the high volume, low intensity stuff that then ramps up to the shorter, faster peak of the pyramid as you go. Now, Dennis and Agecroft get a certain amount of stick. We got a certain amount of stick when we were rowing there, probably because nobody likes successful people and successful clubs. But... I think that Lewin has um, said that his time with Agecroft and Dennis was a little bit challenging because he had a tendency to say why and Dennis had, to, had his tendency to say well because I'm telling you which went down well um, but even when we were rowing there people would um, how can I put this we didn't have a reputation for being a pretty club we didn't row prettily. We didn't. We didn't feather beautifully. We we weren't swinging elegantly. We were just fast, 
Uh, there was one occasion, and yes, it was at, at Runcorn when a rower from another club, uh, Grosvenor, and I do know his name, but I'm not going to mention it, came up to us after the race, after after the head race, and said, I, I couldn't help noticing, chaps, that as you're coming into front stops, what you're actually doing is, and Sean, our wonderful uh, five man, who was uh, edge, went on to be Edgecroft captain and a fantastic oarsman, just went, yeah, hold on a minute, bud. Um, you noticed as we came past you, so you noticed us beating you, so just go away. He used more expletives than that, but the point was that we might not have been pretty, we might not have been elegant, and we might not have had a beautiful Cambridge-style stroke or whatever, but but we were quick, and it, it worked. And that's kind of the point. Dennis built a club and a system that worked, and the truth is you don't build a club like Edgecroft, and you don't win as many Jackson trophies or make as many Henleys semis and finals as he did or send as many boats to Henley and to Nat Champs and win as many medals as Dennis unless you actually know what you're doing and the joke about Dennis in the club was he only had two calls you know row longer pull harder there was a poster in the changing room that literally said Dennis O'Neill wants you to row longer pull harder and it was the based on the famous Kitchener poster in the first world war your country needs you Dennis O'Neill needs you to row longer and pull harder and the reality is that that wasn't the case he was a um, fantastic high performance coach probably still is a fantastic high performance coach uh, and who built a very very successful club a very very successful series of squads and a very very successful ethos that that worked and the reality for as an individual I, I didn't have the relationship with him that Lewin had, which was somewhat combative, but he probably knew better what I was capable of than I knew. And the fact that I didn't pull off a particular erg score that he, he knew that I was capable of and his disappointment that I hadn't done it actually made me work harder. So he was, a, he was a good coach. He was a really good coach, working within that kind of GB standard profile. And the third coach was Peter Holmes, brother of the late and great Andy Holmes and to characterise it to the listening audience Pete came from a Spracklin school although I don't think that he would probably define it purely as a Spracklin school, he would talk about people like Steve Fairburn and he would also talk about ways of rowing a boat and ways of rowing a blade that he was citing um, authorities from before the First World War, you know, real old school, traditional waterman kind of views on it. Um, and if you put it all together, it kind of came down to the idea that moving a boat is all about the lock that you have in the water and the pressure that you put on the pin. The greater the pressure that you have on the pin with a secure lock in the water, the higher the boat speed at the point of release. Um, and Pete believed that if your blade is in the water for a split second during a race um, and you're rating 38, say, in an 8, which would, which would be our fairly standard rate for most kind of um, head races, if not regattas, if you're in the water for a split second, you don't have time for this progressive place and push and build to the finish and sweep round to the finish uh, philosophy. You've got to be in the water and on it straight away. It was all about a dynamic and an accurate front end and catch, um, an explosive leg drive, a strong core linkage between the, the 
the core of the torso and the shoulders, really good control with the hands so that every inch of leg drive was transferring movement to the boat from that. Um, you know, to think of it another way, or to kind of picture it, if you look at the Canadians in the four in Athens in 04, the ones that, that, that lost on the line, essentially, it was that kind of style of rowing, that kind of dynamic, brutal, um, high-tempo feel rowing. Now, for some, that kind of style of rowing might be a bit... Well, it might be anathema, really. It's like, oh, God, we don't do Spracklin and Fairburn anymore. That's that's the 80s, you know. We're, we're a long way from the 80s. Although, looking at our current um, circumstances in Britain, we're not really that far away from it. But I digress. That is social commentary. It's got nothing whatsoever to do with rowing. But the reality is, if Kev put my foundations in place and Dennis built my rowing pyramid, to continue the metaphor... It was Pete who put the the finish on the on the pyramid. He he put the marble on. He put the polish on. He taught me to row a blade and to move a boat and to do so efficiently. Um, so that's kind of they're kind of my rowing bona fides, I suppose you'd call it. And that's kind of where I come from in terms of my background. But here's the thing with them: none of them, and they're excellent coaches. Um, with medal collections that would put a Cold War Russian general to shame, none of them ever taught or advocated pause rowing at low rates. Uh, pause rowing drills? Yes, by the bucket load. Going up and down the Irwell from front stops to back stops and back again, cutting the cake exercises, low rate rowing, low rate square blades rowing, and I'm talking about N8 rowing at 10 to 12 strokes a minute and having to sit it with square blades that'll teach you exactly what your fat arse and your weak core and your your habit of looking around at your catch will is actually doing to the set and the trim of the boat that actually teaches you it gets you in tune with what you are doing and how that is making the boat feel um they made us do more drills than a, you know, that you'd find in the average hardware store. But the reality is that they never advocated pause rowing at low rates as a given. This is what you need to do to make sure that your sequence and ratio are right, so that when you get into the higher rates, they stay right, and therefore the boat moves faster. And they were very successful, and they built very successful crews and very successful squads and very successful clubs. Um, and I suppose that, that those coaches and that, that period of time, although I'm going to talk later on about um, other things that have influenced my rowing, those guys and those experiences more than any pots I've got or any medals or any Henley, Henley appearances or anything like that are kind of my, my rowing bona fides. Um, I realise that in our audience we have people who have a medal collection that would put mine to shame and, and you know, my Henley appearances are nothing next to people who've basically got sock drawers full of, of Henley pots. Um, so, I've rowed GB standard profile, I have rowed a Spracklin-esque, Fairburn-esque, um, dynamic front end, explosive leg drive Canadian style. I've also rode a pause rowing style. Um, so why is it now becoming such a big thing? Why is it becoming 
you know, this is what you need to do if you want to row properly. Well, um, my understanding of it is that obviously you've got the awesome foursome um, and the Aussie squads who did it back in the 90s and noughties. And then you've got um, the GB squad uh, doing it and as with all things like the high volume training ap approaches that kind of filtered down from the, the the national squads into club level this idea of holding it at the back has become a thing, it's become an orthodoxy now my understanding of it and I have been told on Twitter what pause rowing does for you and how it makes rowing so much better and how it's the only way to row um, to the point where I'm now going I'm going to bed at night and saying my prayers and asking God for forgiveness for ever rowing in any other way than that. But the theory as I understand it is essentially this. By pausing at the end of the stroke and holding the body in the oar in the position of the point of releasing the water, the weight that has been moving in the direction of travel stays in the direction of travel meaning that the acceleration achieved by the drive phase sustains longer or at the very least it takes longer to diminish from its peak speed so that's kind of the first takeaway from it and then by delaying the movement back up to front stops it means theoretically that we're less likely to check the run of the boat and we're less likely to send the boat back the other way if we get our weight on the foot plate wrong or we get our catch timing wrong or we just act like complete and utter novices and just crash front stops and we've all had that feeling not just novices actually to be fair at, at, at every level we've all at one point just just got our timing wrong and and felt that check on the boat or seen this seen the stern dig back in because we've just got the weight on the feet wrong in relation to our catch timing um now, Mr. Y and uh, Stan have got involved in a big discussion saying that all of the studies that have been done indicate that the physics of it are correct, that if you, if you do this, uh, the physics work out so that you will be faster for kind of um, various reasons. And I, I kind of read through those reasons and went, well, that, that's very plausible. Um, you know, you can't beat natural laws of physics in a... In a universe that's governed by our natural laws of physics until Tom Copeland emailed me to say that maybe the podcast should get in touch with Carl Douglas and have a chat with him about this because some of the explanations of physics that were being thrown around uh, were, and I quote here pretty woolly some people told me to, to watch, watch St Paul's and some people uh, told me to uh, watch Oxford Brooks now I presume they were asking me to watch Oxford Brooks because when they're doing the pause rowing thing at, at low rates you get to hear their A and their B boats saying well look whichever one of us gets to the barrier first we'll just wind down after that and paddle it in the rest of the way to Henley and then when we get out on the landing stages the committee can give us a warning for unsportsmanlike conduct again um, Felix uh, who I'm guessing is an Australian because he made the point that well you haven't been on the podium very much after I quoted a f quite famous rowing coach who said why don't you use pause rowing in your cruise and, I, and their response was well if it was any good then they would be beating us um, and Felix has a point we didn't do particularly well in Tokyo 
But um, I would point out to Felix that actually at that point, um, the British crews were using pause rowing. You can see them doing pause rowing, not just pause rowing drills, but pause rowing paddling uh, on the lead up to Tokyo. So maybe the fact that we adopted it is why we turned out to be shit and it wasn't in Tokyo and it had nothing to do with the fact that we let Jürgen go a year out and um, basically muffed up the most successful program in British sporting history. But moving on to that, it's a bit of a vexed, it's not a vexed situation, I'm, that's hyperbole and we need to stay away from hyperbole because we have a Prime Minister who uses it and scatters it as liberally as a, a fair maiden scattering rose petals on the path to our doom, but it's not a vexed issue at all. Here's my kind of thoughts about pause rowing and why it excited so much comment. If pause rowing is the holy grail and that's what makes us fast, the question is, how on earth did we ever manage to row boats before we invented pause rowing at paddling? And the pause is there for you to answer and to shout at your device and say, well, well, all of those goals were, were won, we would have won them by much more if we'd had pause rowing. And that's kind of the thing. Um, the results were really telling. You know, we had a, a fair proportion for pause rowing is idiocy, uh, pause rowing is madness, uh, pause rowing um, is a style choice and the winner was pause rowing is because the cool kids are doing it and that's kind of my gut feeling on it I think that it's something that's been seen on the international circuit it's something that's had a few things written about it there's been some explanations of the physics of it that seem plausible and because international squads have used it as it always does in club rowing whatever the internationals are doing in any given point in time will filter down into the into the clubs so the internationals are doing it so it becomes a club thing and then some of the clubs have success with it so because those clubs are having success with it then it becomes that's the magic bullet you know oxbrooks are that are that good because they do pause rowing no oxbrooks are good because they have a conveyor belt of talent a fantastic high performance program they have a highly selective um selection process for their talent you know Rory Copus has been on this very podcast saying if you want to go to university and you want to row unless you have these scores don't come to Oxbrooks um, St Paul's do it and they were very very and they were very successful and therefore six, um, St Paul's have done it they're successful so if we want to be successful then why don't we just copy it it's the pause rowing that's the magic well, actually, it's probably not the magic. It's probably part of it, but also they're doing phenomenal amounts of training to very, very specific tolerances, and they're doing everything else in the stroke right. That's the thing. It's never any one thing in the rowing stroke that is the magic bullet. It's getting an entire complex sequence of movements right and in time and in tune and in rhythm and harmony with everyone else combined with huge amounts of fitness work that actually makes boats fast because if, if it was just one magic bullet then rowing would be a pretty easy and be pretty boring you would just find out you know that you'd get the magic bullet and it, w it would be fine and it's not it's a complex of things that comes together oh but the physics suggests that it's it's faster if you can get the front end right well that's kind of the key isn't it you've got to get the front end right you know i'm currently at 
Tyne United and they are a wonderful club full of wonderful people and I'm not just saying that because some of them might be listening but if they are listening hello you're wonderful and a wonderful club full of wonderful people but we've had some videos pass back and forth showing the New Zealand eight doing pause rowing paddling you know this is what we need to do at the back end this is where we need to sit one of the reasons that the New Zealand eight and if you listen to Martin Cross's fantastic interview with um, uh, Tony O'Connor um, one of the reasons they can do that is because they are actually putting the work down. Now, we've all been in, in boats where someone said, oh, can we pick the rate up? You know, the shell's not settled, it, it'll settle down with the rate. And that's true. Basically, the more momentum that you've got, the easier it is to kind of sit a boat that's moving. But the reality is that unless you can sit it at rate 18, you can't sit it at rate 38 when it's balls to the walls and the wheels are otherwise the wheels will just fall off so the reason why the New Zealand 8 looks so fantastic and so great when they're sitting at rate 18 and they're doing this beautiful flawless pause rowing on mile after mile of water is because they're putting down serious amounts of power and the shell is running and they're all in control of their core and they're all in control of every other aspect of their stroke they're in control of their ratio they're in control of their sequence they're in control of their hand height they're in control of everything it's not just the pause rowing so mr y tk carter you know said look you know the basic takeaway from this is it's not necessarily about keeping the weight at the at the in the direction of travel for as long as possible to maintain the momentum it's the fact that the fastest recovery is to accelerate into the catch to avoid pressure on the feet towards the stern until the last moment when you take the catch um, and to do that but not row everywhere at 28 strokes per minute plus was his point you need to pause or slow massively at the back end well Pete Holmes would say actually you shouldn't be slowing massively at the back end because you shouldn't slow your drive phase down at, at any point your drive phase is about your lock in the water and the pressure that you get on the pin and it has to be explosive and brutal to move the boat you're moving the boat you're levering the boat past the pin using the lock that you have on the water, the lock that the oar has in the water to do that. And this idea of accelerating into the catch um, to avoid pressure on the feet towards the stern, well, you know, Kevin Dennis, you always maintain pressure on your footplate. You always maintain contact with your footplate. And part one of the things we talked about with, just talked about with the New Zealand date, where um, they're in control of everything. Part of that is being in control of the pressure that you're putting on the footplate so that when you come back up the slide, you're not checking the boat, you're not sending the stern backwards, you're not slamming your pile of potatoes against your footplate in order to take the catch. That's one of the things that you have to control as well as your all of the other things we've just talked about. Um, Stan has come back in and said that there is some modelling that suggests if you could do the entire the entire recovery and no point not one second after a long pause it was even faster but the g-forces involved were somewhat large and he points out that yes this was a very much ad absurdum test of this model but I kind of I kind of see his point there um, Matt Pinsons weighed in and said you know the, the Russians that he remembers had that rush forward the last bit of the slide pick it up really quickly before the boat dips theory seemed to work flat out is his point but on a paddle it looks it looks really really awkward um, and I, I think that my kind of takeaway from this is 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 valid that if we look at pause rowing as being the magic bullet it, it isn't and I think it's significant that the even though it was flippant and throwaway the idea that the cool kids do it 
is really, really telling because it's something that we've seen at the top level and has been introduced in, in, in clubs. And coaches are human beings. They want to keep their jobs. So if they see something that, that works or looks like it works, they'll introduce it because you're always, firstly, you're always looking for the next thing and you're always looking to stay one step ahead of your opposition. Um, Adrian Ellison uh, weighed in and said, you know, sh th shouldn't there just be an option of it's a useful low rate paddling exercise to define the release and provide a trigger point to start the next stroke? Now, that's what I think of when I think of pause rowing. Um, I think of the pause rowing exercise, starting at backstops and working your way up the slide. I think it's a fantastic exercise to set your ratio and your sequence and also to, to give you a real understanding of what you should be doing with your core, what you should be doing with your shoulders, what you should be doing with your hand height, um, what you should be doing with controlling your weight on the slide at, at every given point. If you're sending the boat back down the way it came because you're you're hitting your front plate so hard, it's not just the back end of the recovery, it's actually you might need to look at how you're taking the catch and how you are bringing the legs on as you as you are taking it because you shouldn't be bringing the legs on and pushing the stern that way until you've got your lock in the water your core strong your shoulders in the right place so that if you move an inch with your legs then that is instantly transferred into moving the boat further down the river um, so I think that my takeaway from it is that it's something that's kind of filtered down and become a bit of an orthodoxy but it's become a bit of a thing it's become something that we do because everybody else is doing it and that's kind of that's kind of the point isn't it really when you get down to it um there are many different ways to skin a cat um i'm not advocating cruelty to animals but there are means what i mean is there's many different ways to row a boat there is there is dennis's way which is very successful there is Pete Holmes's way, which is very successful. There is the pause rowing way, which is also very successful. But rather than look at it as being the only way to do it, you have to have everything else in place. You have to have the fitness work. You have to have the technical work. You have to have the blending of, of the crew. Um, but whatever you do and whichever way you approach it, you have to do it together as a crew and you have to work on it and you have to put the time into actually blending it. So my personal preference is I don't like pause rowing paddling because I was coached that the hands come in and go out at the same speed, but the fact that the hands go in and go back out again at the same speed doesn't make any difference to what you're doing with your body your body can still remain back your weight can still remain back it's it's only when the hands reach their full extension that they draw you into your rock over from the hips and I think that pause rowing is a useful exercise to help to find your ratio but it's no more or less valid than any other exercise that you will do in a boat it's no more it's no more or less important than any of the other things that we do to set up the stroke each time so things like um, squaring early, we all know that we should square early. We all know that we should do it. Why? Because when we get to the catch, if we've squared early and everything else is in the right place, then we do, almost don't have to take the catch. The blade just goes straight into the water. I also don't like it because if I'm sitting at the back end, uh, it means that I have less time to do the other things in the sequence that I need to do to make sure that when I actually reach the catch, 
everything is in the right place. And the other reason why I don't personally like it is I think it makes the tap down a doubled movement. And I think that if, I am in, if I'm in control of my oar, and we are all responsible for our own oars when we're in, in the boat, and my control of the oar is good, and my technical application regarding where I'm drawing up to, where I'm tapping down to, where my hands are going away to, how I'm rising to the catch. If I'm in control of all of those things, none of those things should be impeding the flow or the run of the shell. So that doubled movement doesn't come into play and it shouldn't come into play. So, but these are just personal preferences. It's all just different ways of skinning the cat, essentially. So those are just some of the reasons why it's a, it's a style or it's a training choice that I haven't particularly gelled with. It doesn't mean that doing pause rowing makes you a bad person or not doing it makes you a good person. It's just, um, it's a personal thing and those are kind of my reasons. And the comeback from that that we got on the thread was, well, well, actually, you only do it at rate 18 and when the rates go up, then the, the, the pause vanishes. And that doesn't make sense to me. And it doesn't make sense to me for a variety of reasons, but the kind of primary one that they all, all those reasons come from is the fact that you train how you're gonna race and then you race how you're going to train. Now, my understanding of doing the work at rate 18 is that, firstly, it gives you, it promotes the capillary response that you need to develop the aerobic base that you need to then handle the shorter, faster, more intense stuff that increases in brutality as you go up the sides of the rowing pyramid towards the pinnacle. So you do lots of long, steady stuff to promote that capillary growth. But the other reason that I was always told that we do so much of this stuff is because at those lower rates, at rate 18, you can work on your stroke profile. You can ingrain the patterning of what you are doing so that it exists at a, a, a neural and a muscular level. So why would you train to row one way and ingrain a set of patterns at rate 18 that you then don't use at rate 38? The reality is this, the patterning of the stroke in all aspects of the sequence are not stimulus responses. You are not reacting to things that are happening and sending messages to the various parts of your body to do these things. They, they happen, uh, um, they are learned responses. They're not stimulus responses. So for example, the gap between the catch, the lock coming on and the legs coming on in, in even semi-decent competent club rowers like myself is so small that it can't possibly be a stimulus response. I'm not putting the blade in the water, feeling the weight gathering on the face and then going, right, time to bring my legs on, send a message to those legs to kick. It's in and on so fast that it is a learned response. And what you're doing at rate 18 is you are ingraining those responses so that when you get to rate 38, you are not actually thinking about what you're doing. You've patterned it in so that everything is firing in sequence, like a, a well-tuned car engine firing its pistons in sequence to make the whole boat flow. So why would you learn one set of responses at rate 18 and then go, yeah, but it doesn't matter because when we go faster, we take that out. Why are you learning this doubled movement? Why are you learning this sitting and holding at the back? thing. And the thing is, I can say that and you'll all go, yeah, well, look at Oxford Brooks. They were really successful with it. 
and I could make the quip again about them uh, carving up Henley between them last year and being cited for unsportsmanlike conduct, but I won't because I've already made that point. Um, or St Paul's have done it and, you know, the awesome foursome did it and Drew Jane did it and the GB squad now do it. And I would go back to the, yes, I think that pause rowing is a fantastic exercise. I love doing it. I've done mile after mile of it. But it's one of those things that becomes a thing because other people are doing it and are successful with it. You know, I remember rowing against a club whose 18Ks were done doing nothing but slap catches. Now, I've done outings for an entire 18Ks rowing with slap catches, and, you know, I've learned through doing that, firstly, to let my hands rise to the catch and all of that kind of thing. But I also learned that if I was sitting between Ben and Chapman, I was going to get very, very wet. But they actually did all of their rowing, all of, all of their low rate rowing at rate 18, or all of their long, steady pieces to build, you know, that aerobic base were done using slap catches. And they were really successful. They were, they were a really fast crew. But that's an example of something becoming a thing. It works. It, we are successful, it works, therefore we will carry on doing it. And these ideas come and go in rowing. We are human. We see someone else having success doing things a certain way. We go, well, that must be the key. But surely the, as this entire chat, ramble, broken thoughts has kind of established, it's never any one thing. It's an entire complex of things. You know, we can talk about pause rowing, but we should also, or we could also be talking about, you know, holding the core and the body still at the finish and through that tap and feather and hands away to full arm extension before the rock over and from the hips is a fundamental that isn't talked about enough. You can do all the pause rowing that you like, but if your core is all over the place or your your hands are in the wrong position or, or it's not going to make any difference. So it's about the whole complex of things. And the key is that whatever you choose to do, whatever style of rowing that you choose, is to buy into it and do it and do it and do it as a crew until it becomes second nature. A very good coach that I know gave me the example uh, reasonably recently of two rowers in his charge who had been at St Paul's and whom he dropped into his eight who unilaterally decided that um, because they were at stroke pad, they were going to carry on doing the St. Paul's pause, while the other six rowers in the boat carried on rowing with the stroke profile that they'd been training with, which led to an absolute car crash of an outing and some probably quite strong exchanges of opinions. And I think that's kind of the, the last thing that I want to kind of leave it with is I was having a chat um, online with Adrian, uh, sorry, Andrew McNeil, um, who was Drew Jin's original partner in, in the pair way back in the day when they were all, um, well, when we were all much younger. And what kind of struck me was one of, the, one of the formative experiences that I had as a rower was to row the length of the Thames uh, with a group of friends. And we did it in a quad. So it was, it was in, a, in a sculling class boat. And when we got back in the boat, we, we hadn't been racing for four or five years and, and we'd moved on to other things. We'd not really been much in a boat. But there was no discussion about, well, are we going to row Dennis's style? Are we going to row Pete's style? What we basically did is we went out on the OL, we did half a dozen outings, and then we basically took the boat down to Lechlade and did 150 miles from there. And what I can say is that we didn't talk about rowing, we didn't talk about 
where our weight was. We didn't talk about our hand heights. We didn't do any drills or anything like that. What we did was a huge amount of mileage together in a compressed period of time. And I can honestly say that by the end of the first day, we were moving a boat as well as we ever had, despite the length of time off. And by the time we, we finished 150 miles later, we were moving a boat better than we ever had. Because what happens when you, you do a lot of mileage and you, do a, you take a lot of strokes is you develop what Thor Nielsen called efficiency. And he's big on efficiency. Efficiency for Thor Nielsen is the reason why the Redgraves of this world, by the time they got to Sydney, they, their scores might not have been on paper as good as other people's, or they might not have been the prime movers on paper, but they could still move a boat better than anyone else. Because if it, the first 10,000 repetitions takes a lot of concentration and a lot of effort and a lot of brain and muscle power, and then after that, the next 10,000, it gets you do another 10,000 repetitions and another 10,000 repetitions and eventually you just get more and more efficient and everything that you don't need gets out of the window and when we did all of those miles on the Thames we just worked out we just worked out the best way of moving the boat together we found the most efficient way by simply doing it so you know of course we can train spotter because that's part of the the rowing culture is to chat about coaching and approaches and while well, you're doing you're doing this and we're doing that and well that seems to work and that looks good and you know pause rowing's now what all the cool kids are doing um but actually you can't beat the idea not that mileage makes medals but mileage makes rowers so if you want to really move a boat together well you know have a chat about it and talk about pause rowing certainly but the best way to move a boat together well is to get on the river in it and do as many miles as you can and keep doing them and keep doing them and keep doing them. And you will always find something to work on because that is the reality of the sport. Even our most perfect outings, we come off the river going, that was fantastic, but let's just think about this on our next outing because that's the nature of the rowing beast. But I think that's where the magic lies. I think the magic bullet isn't a magic bullet at all. The magic bullet is looking at rowing as a, a complex series of movements and a, the, a, the boat and the people in it as a complex or, organism that need to harmonize and gel and find each other and connect. And you do that by putting the miles in. And if those miles happen to involve some pause rowing paddling, I'll be happy to join your crew. And if you're um, a traditionalist like myself and you believe that the hands come out and go out at the same speed that they come in I will be but you'd like to do some pause rowing drills I will be all over that too so this has been AJ the northern one from Broken Oars uh, pontificating about pause rowing drills and why they're not really heresy but I understand why people get so you know into it it's part of what we do thanks for listening and I hope that uh, next time you hear us I will have Lewin to bring some intelligence to the conversation bye bye for now